James chapter 4 is where we're going to be. James chapter 4, verse 13 is where, where we will start. We'll go all the way through chapter 5, uh, verse 6. We're pressing forward in the book of James. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles provided for you in the seats there. And if you don't have one at home uh, that you can dust off and use, uh, take this one home. It's our gift to be glad for you to have it. And in those uh, seat Bibles there, it's page 800. And 71, James chapter 4, verse 13. Let me catch you up to speed a little bit. Uh, I was off last week. Thanks for Ryan for uh, preaching. It was just, he did a great job. And uh, so I'm, I'm kind of a little bit in need of catching up as well, I think. But to catch up to speed a little bit, James is the oldest, younger brother of Jesus. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah while he walked the earth. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, and specifically uh, appearance to him, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, James becomes a believer and becomes uh, not only a believer, but he uh, becomes a leader of the church of Jerusalem. And uh, to let you know a little more about James, is James uh, speaks less about Jesus than any other New Testament writer. However, he sounds more like Jesus than any other writer of the New Testament. He does things like uses really strong uh, imagery, he uses very bold, stark, frank language. He's frustrated with religion that doesn't lead to, to life change, much like Jesus was. And then today, one thing we're going to see is that, like Jesus, James is concerned with the grip that money has on our hearts. And so, like Jesus, James talks quite a bit about the rich and the poor, and really is concerned with the grip that money has on our hearts. And I know you love coming to church to talk about money, and so uh, we'll, we'll get to look at that uh, a little bit today. Um, and we'll get there, actually, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, but I want to spend the majority of the message today in uh, chapter 4, in the end of chapter 4. And so what we'll see is that before James gets into money, he really looks at, catch this, the, the heart of the issue, and that is control. Do you have any control freaks in the room? Anybody? Don't point your finger at anybody unless you're pointing it at yourself. Because I want to show you that we're all kind of control freaks in a way. And uh, uh, I want us to see that. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, control uh, this morning. Now, the, the night before Thanksgiving, we were up in Vermont with my family and just having a really good time. And I probably shouldn't have checked my, my phone because I try to turn it off or just leave it out of the picture when I'm doing family things. But I did. And I checked my phone just to kind of see what was going on in the world. Remember when we couldn't do that? But now we can. And so I checked my phone. And on my phone, I read that uh, one of the pastors at a church that I served with, um, uh, where I grew up, had uh, died that afternoon. He was out riding his bike and was hit by a charter bus and just died immediately. And um, so this past week, I was watching his memorial service online. You know, it's neat that with technology today, we can, you know, even watch funeral services online. We were watching that online. It was just so cool. It was a really Christ-exalting, just God-honoring time that they had uh, there. And as I watched, I was just really uh, particularly struck by the the similarities between this pastor and myself. That one, we're obviously both pastors. Uh, Two, we are both fathers of three young children, very similar in ages. Uh, We're both 30 years old. Um, I was really struck by all of that. Now, his name uh, was Andrew, and so I'd ask you if you remember, um, you want to take a note of this, just pray for Andrew and his young, uh, young family. And I'm not trying to be a downer, but as I, as I looked at the similarities between Andrew's life and my life, it just kind of clicked that that could have been me, and that it 
truth be told, could have been you. For Andrew and for his wife and for his kids and for his church family, they weren't expecting this. And I'm not expecting to go anytime soon. You're not expecting to go anytime soon. But, you know, it's a, it's a good reminder for us all, isn't it? So it's a really good reminder for us all that we're, we're not as in control as we think we are. That there are things outside of us that could end us very quickly. We're not as in control as we think we are. And so I know you didn't come to talk about money. And I know you didn't come to talk about your lack of control. But we need to, we need to go there. And my goal this morning is, is not to depress you. But my goal this morning is, is to really um, spur you on by showing you your, your lack of control. And so here's the big idea for today. Here's the big idea. The big idea for today is that if we can understand our lack of control, we can live more full lives. We can live more fully if we can understand our, our lack of control. In other words, if we can get a grip on, on, on just how much of this life is really out of our grip, I believe that, that we can live uh, fuller, uh, more meaningful, more impactful lives. Do you want that? You want that? Yeah? Well, then we have to start, I believe, with our, our lack of control. And so look with me at James chapter 4. Look at verse 13 and, and 14. Look what he says. He says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. All right. Now, for the rest of James chapter 4, what I want to look at together is I want to I give you three vital realizations. I want to give you three vital realizations, things that, that you just got to realize. You, you just got to come to terms with these three things. And here's the first one. The first one is your control is an illusion. Your control is an illusion. And an illusion, here's what it is. It's when you really believe something. Like you really believe it, but it's just not true. And the reason we really believe things is because a lot of times our senses will deceive us into seeing something and believing something. And this is true of your con- control. It's an illusion. See, here's what happens. God, God allows us to make decisions in, in our lives. But as we're rolling through life and as we're making decisions with our, our brains, our, our minds can be tricked into thinking that I'm the ultimate decision maker, that I call the shots. Now, God's given us hands, and he's given us hands to, to, to make things, right? And we create things. You create your portfolio. You create a career. You create a, a family. You build things maybe in your, your workplace. And our hands, our mind, we can be deceived into thinking that no one is stronger than me. Similarly, God's given us feet to, to walk with, to go places with. And we're rolling through life and we're going places and we're heading in certain directions in our feet. We can be deceived into thinking that I can go anywhere I want to go and I can do anything I want to do and there's no stopping me. But it's all an illusion. If you think back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God makes mankind, he makes Adam and he makes Eve. And then what does he say to them? Genesis chapter 128, he says this. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have what? 
have dominion. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so God gives us at creation the authority to exercise dominion. And if you think about it, we've kind of done it, haven't we? Isn't that cool? We've, we've exercised uh, dominion. We've learned how to catch the fish of the sea. We've learned how to capture birds of the heavens for food. And I love me some seafood. And I love some bird, right? I love some chicken every now and again. Turkey just a couple weeks ago. The occasional turducken, right, is good as well. I, I love that, right? We've, we've, we've even gone further and we've, we've made other discoveries like the beautiful, amazing, manly discovery of beef, right? And we can, we can have steak and we love that, right? We've, we've learned how we can cut down trees and have timber and, and build houses for ourselves and use that wood for fuel, for, for fire. We've, we've mined the depths of the earth and discovered different kinds of metal. We've used that metal to make uh, instruments that we can then chisel stone and we can make houses that will last longer than houses made out of timber and, and, and mud. It's impressive. We can make uh, the, the Roman Colosseums. We can make these impressive buildings. Uh, eventually, we, we discover that not only can we use that metal to chisel stone and make impressive, we can actually use the metal to go up and go higher and make impressive things. And so today we have these amazing skyscrapers. And in the past century, we've had these amazing skylines that have emerged. You can go up to Metropolitan Hill by the Washington Beach Complex and see this amazing view of, of the Boston skyline. It's amazing. We've then used that same metal to make microscopes. And no longer, not only do we have to go bigger, we can go smaller and we can see into uh, just things that we can never see before. We can look at uh, molecular structures and, and, and figure out how to do different things. We created plastic. How amazing. We can, take, we can take any shape that we want and we can make it out of plastic. We can make anything. And so today I have my cell phone that's a combination of metal and plastic and, and glass. And I can turn on my FaceTime on my phone and I can call family from out of state and see their face which as a child watching the Jetsons growing up, that's something we only dreamed of, and now I'm looking at them. Might as well be on my watch. Like the Jetsons, it's, it's amazing. We've used those same microscopes to, to discover the inner workings of the human body and kind of learn a little bit more about the brain and about cells and about DNA. It's incredible. We've used the same microscopes to then look at plants and, and what's going on and go deeper there and and through that, we've discovered medicine. And no longer does polio kill us. No longer does a child die from an asthma attack, suffocation. No longer uh, does high blood pressure have to go unmanaged. And we can live longer. and We can die of old age. And even then, we can have our pain managed through some of the medicine that we've d- discovered. That's absolutely amazing. We've done it, right? We've exercised dominion over everything that moves on the earth. But like the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, our skylines, buildings that we build, our medicine, our our technology, our understanding of the science can, if we let it serve as an illusion of control. Say, I got this, I'm good. And in a second, we forget who gave us the mind, who gave us the body, 
who gave us the authority to exercise dominion. So he is in control. God is in control. So don't let these things serve as an illusion. The Boston skyline does not mesmerize God. He's like, yeah, that's great. You want to see the Rockies? <laughs> I just said it and it happened. It doesn't mesmerize God. So here in James chapter 4, 13 and 14, James speaks to wealthy merchants. I mean, just, just wealthy people. And surprisingly, you know, you might not feel wealthy, but it applies to us all. And what these merchants, if you look, decide to do is they decide to go into a town for a year and they say, we're going to trade some goods and we're going to make some dough. We're going to make some money. And there's nothing wrong with making money and trading and doing that. But what James is really pointing out is this faulty and arrogant thinking that says, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year and turn a profit. That's what we are going to do. And James is saying, do not be so arrogant to think that you will absolutely do anything. Saying God is in control. He might not even let you make it into the town as you head to the town. It might end. This guy on a bicycle is going somewhere. He didn't even make it there. You, you might make it into the town, but like Elimelech and Malon and Kilion and Ruth chapter 1, going to Moab to turn a prophet to come back so they can, can provide for the family, made it into the town, never came out of the town. Or you may make it into the town and make it out of the town. We just don't know. He's saying, don't be so arrogant to say that I will do this. He says, because your tomorrow is not guaranteed. You do not have ultimate control over your life. Verse 14, look at it. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? And then he compares it to what? He compares it to a mist. He says, your life is like a, a mist, like a, a vapor. It's here for a moment. It's, it's gone in, in a moment. See, our lives are so much more fragile than we realize gone. Now, we have a ton of uh, young families in the room. We've got a lot of babies. Uh, December 16th, we're going to do a little uh, parent-child dedication because we have so many babies. It's exciting. Uh, I remember having our first baby and doing the registry and all of that. It is maddening as a new parent how many child safety products are out there. I mean, it's just unreal how many things are out there. And I just remember thinking that my house cannot possibly fit all of the things that they say that I need as a new parent, right? It's just not, I don't have room. I mean, I might as well go out and buy a bouncy house, you know, and they can just, they won't get hurt at all. They just live in a bouncy house. It'll be great, right? And have you ever been into one of those mama and mama stores? You know, it's crazy. You go in there. And the marketing strategy for all of these stores, the marketing strategy for all of these stores is you go inside, every product will say something along the lines of, Listen, if you don't buy this product, you don't love your child and you want your child to die. <laughs> that's, that's basically the gist of the, the marketing strategy. It's dirty, but it's brilliant, right? But it's dirty. It's, that's, that's mean, right? And so there's all these products out there that are just saying, you love your child, you don't want your child to die, you need this product. Yet, there's this thing that we call SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. We don't have ultimate control. 
We don't. Now, I'm not saying don't be safe. We need to be responsible. We need to be safe. We need to use the, the common grace of God's uh, ingenuity that he's put into his people so that we could invent these things. That's why I'm not saying don't take medicine. Right? It's common grace. However, be anxious for nothing. Now, I'm going to get in trouble because I didn't ask permission of Peter and Sarah and their hurricane baby. But um, their baby was born in a hurricane. It's awesome. Um, that's a great story, by the way. Um, I remember it was a few days after the baby was born, and, and they were talking about, and I've heard this from a lot of young parents, but they were talking about how, you know, you, every now and again you just get close to your baby to hear if they're even, even breathing, and you have to wake them up, you know, and they start screaming. You're like, oh, man, yep, they're breathing. <laughs> right? And listen, be, don't be anxious for anything, the Scripture says. God is in control. He's, he's in control, and, and we can find comfort in his control. Now, I know some of your minds are starting to drift a little bit now because it raises some tough questions, doesn't it? That if God is in control, how does he justify suffering that we see? Does he allow that? Yeah. What about children who die at a, at a young age? Does he allow that? He allows it. Doesn't necessarily cause it, but he allows it as a sovereign Lord. And so tough questions start to emerge in our hearts. And I want to challenge you, don't suppress it. Don't be the Christian who just mindlessly buys into everything. Ask the tough questions. But I want to encourage you to ask those tough questions and to work them out in community, not isolation. And work them out in faith, not in skepticism. We had one of those moments uh, a month or so ago in our West Roxbury Connection Group, which was just really cool, where the question came up and we talked about it in community. I was so grateful for the, the lady who brought it up, who brought it up so that we could talk about it. And everybody else wanted to talk about it. We talk about it in community. We talk about it with faith, not with pointing our finger, waving our fist at God. And so we asked those questions. And I believe that as you ask those questions, you're going to find truth and find even comfort and even joy in God's total control. Now, the other side of James's statement, look at verse 14. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This, this statement kind of speaks to how, how fragile and how out of our control our, our lives really are. We're, we're a mist. But it also kind of speaks to how insignificant our lives are in the grand scheme of things. Now, this is kind of contrary to every other motivational speaker you'll ever hear who tells you, you're awesome, you're amazing, change the world, it's all about you. But listen, I really want us to hear these things because, again, I say this not to depress you, but I want you to know that, listen, if, if you can really get a grip on how out of control things are, that you really lack con control, you can live life to the fullest, and we'll get there. I want you to see that. I really want us to, to see that. And so in the grand scheme, our lives will just kind of come and go, and we're, we're not as important as we think we are. So I'm going to do a little exercise here and just do a survey, and I want you just to do a show of hands. I don't typically do this, but we're going to do a show of hands survey. I was reminded the other day of the fact that I don't know the name of any of my great-grandparents. I don't know the names of any of my great-grandparents. I have eight great-grandparents. And not one name. Now, let me ask you. How many of you know 
the names of your great-grandparents. Okay? It's like 50-50. How many of you know the house they lived in? Diminishing. How many of you know what they did for a living? How many of you know, how many of you know what they were all about? Like, you know their heart, you know who they were, you just know what they were passionate about. Surprisingly, there's, we don't know a whole lot about people that were, you know, died only maybe 30 to 75 years ago. And, and so we kind of think we're, we're so important, and, and, and yet we're, we come and we go just so quickly. And the thought of, for me, the thought of my children and their grandchildren, that they're going to be grandparents too, and those kids not knowing much about me or not even knowing of me at all, it's pretty humbling, right? I'm not important <laughs> in, in the grand scheme of things. And again, it's contrary to what the world tells us, that it's all about you, and, and, and the world will kind of center us on me and self-worth and making a name for yourself and controlling your own destiny. What is your life, he says, for you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What's the Christian faith? The Christian faith is I'm giving up this illusion of control. See, the people out there that don't submit their lives to God, but he's still in control. We're saying, I'm giving up the illusion of, of control, and I'm going to trust fully in the one who is actually in control, which you'll find, as I do, it leads to just an amazing peace and much less stress in your life because you know that he's in control. You place your faith in him. You place your faith in, in Jesus. And uh, your control, it's an illusion. It's an illusion. He is the sovereign God, as we said in our scripture reading, our Advent prayer. Oh, sovereign Lord, you're sovereign over us. So there's comfort in that. There's peace in that. There's hope in that. And there's joy even, you'll find, in just a real grip on his con- control. That we were, we were slaves to a wicked master, Satan, sin, and death. But if we would submit to his control, we're now still slaves, according to the scripture. We're still servants, but we're servants of the good master. We've chained ourselves to someone else. See, a lot of times people think, well, I give my life to Jesus. I'm free from that bondage. Yeah, you're free from that bondage, but you've now come under slavery or servanthood of another one, a good master. We're all going to serve somebody. Now, moving forward and faster. Not only is your control an illusion, the next vital realization, according to this, is that your plans are contingent. Your plans are contingent. Look at 15 and 16 with me. What does he say? He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such evil is, or all such boasting is evil. So, instead of arrogantly making plans for the future as if, I'm in control and just leaving God out of the equation. James says you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Now, he, he, he's not being ridiculous and saying, you know, before you do anything, say, Lord willing. Right? You ever seen that guy? Going to go to the bathroom, Lord willing. Right? You know, like, uh, just, no. Don't, don't, be, don't do that. No. He, he's really, as, as Jesus always did, is he's always speaking to the heart of the matter. 
You murder if you have anger in your heart towards somebody. You commit adultery if you look lustfully upon another person. He's saying, listen, I'm not saying, like, you have to always say, Lord willing. He's saying, in your heart, you need a realization that you're not promised this day or tomorrow. And so let me, let me ask you, what are your plans for your life? I know you got them. I know you're thinking about them. What are your plans for 2013? What are your plans for this Advent season, this month? What are your plans for this week? What are your plans for tomorrow? You thinking about them? We all have plans, but, but how would your life's plans kind of change if you really had just a, the vital realization that it's all contingent upon the Lord's will? He tarries if he lets you. Should we make plans? Yeah, we should, we should make plans. It's biblical. The Bible talks a lot about making plans. I'll give you a few. Luke chapter 14, verse 28 says, A builder must first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to p- complete it. So he's got to look at his funding. What do I have? Can I do it? Make a plan. Yeah. Right? Ultimately, that's talking about counting the cost of our faith, but the, the principle's still there. Or uh, Proverbs 15, 22, Plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. And so we need to have plans. We need to get people in on our plans. Make plans. It's good. But Proverbs 16, verse 9, this is a good one to memorize, says this, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his step. So we make plans, but ultimately we know that God is guiding each step and God's in control. We make plans, but we do so understanding that he's in control. So with that in mind, Here's how God's control informs our planning. Because we all plan. Here's how God's control informs our planning. I want to give you a few. First is we need to do this. We need to plan with an open hand. We need to plan with an open hand. In other words, make plans, be responsible, but don't hold so tight to your plans that, that if God takes you in another direction, that you are just completely annihilated. You can't move forward. You're paralyzed. Trust him. And I think we have all can say that I had a plan. I was going to do this, and it got changed a little bit. And if God's sovereign, he's in control. You ever made plans, and God led you in a different direction than you were thinking? I could name about a 100 who just sat down and thought through them in my life. Make a plan for a job, but you lose your job. Anybody? You make plans for a degree, but you didn't get accepted into the, the program. Make plans, I'm going to spend my life in this relationship, but then that relationship falls apart. He or she didn't want that. Or he or she passed away. Make plans, you have dreams, but did it devastate you? Or did it annihilate you? There's a difference. When you're, you're, you're devastated, devastation means widespread destruction. And some of you can say some of these things, change of plans, just hurt me. There's destruction in my life. It hurt. Painful. But annihilation means you're destroyed beyond repair. It's done. And some of us, when our plans change, we just get stuck. We're just annihilated. We're just not moving forward. We're not rebuilding. It's over. And, and, and yet, we shouldn't be destroyed to the point where we can't move forward. We can be devastated and hurt and pained, but we need to be able to, to move forward forward as uh, the Lord uh, gives us grace and mercy uh, to, to move forward. And so 
don't let it just destroy you. Plan, but have an open hand. And though the change of plans might be painful, you can move forward. Trust in his control. Here's the next thought. Plan for what's important. When you plan, plan more than anything for for what's important in, in this life. It's clear in the Bible some things that are very important. And I think if we were to examine a lot of our lives, it doesn't really line up with what the Bible says is important. The things that we plan for, we plan for what's a priority. And the things that we plan for oftentimes aren't really what the Bible says are important. And so at that memorial service that I was watching online, uh, Pastor Andrew, um, it was just, it was really neat. Um, they, they found a journal that he'd been, been keeping. And in the journal, they started to read through a section that he had that was basically, it just said, my goals in life. And he laid out his goals, or these are my plans, this is where I'm going, this is what I want for my life. And uh, I was struck by this one goal that he had that they shared. It wasn't the American dream, but it was something of deep and lasting value. Here's what he wrote. He put, this is my goal to be a hero in my home. got to be home to be a hero in your home. Kind of in doing that, you kind of got to value home more than work and career. It's like, I want to be a hero in my home. That's, that's a goal for me. That's a plan. Man, that's awesome. Plan for what's important. You can make plans in your portfolio. Nothing wrong with that. But do not neglect to plan for what's most important. A relationship with God. How are you going to live Deuteronomy 6 style, Deuteronomy 4 style as a, as a leader in your family, for your children, for your spouse? Make plans for valuing the church as it's the bride of Christ. And if you don't like my wife, you don't like me. And if we don't love Jesus' church, you don't really love Jesus, right? And so we make things a priority. The kingdom of God, plan for what's important. Here's the next one. Plan for the inter- eternal. You've got to plan for the eternal. Don't plan, or don't fail to plan for what's of utmost, ultimate importance. And so I have to, I do this every, I have to stop and ask you all the question. Have you planned for eternity? Have you thought about what happens when it's all over? We believe from the scriptures that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one, no one, that means no one, comes to the Father, has peace with God, but through him. You've got to plan for eternity. Do you trust in Jesus? If you don't, you at least got to ask yourself the question, have I trusted in Jesus as Lord of my life? All earthly plans are contingent upon the Lord. Now, moving forward in our text, some may conclude this. Some may say, well, if God's sovereign, he's in complete control, and I make my plans, and he might lead me, in another direction, if life is a mist and it's here today and it's, it's gone tomorrow, then I'm just going to sit down, I'm just going to fold my arms, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to coast through life. I hear people conclude that, well, I guess if God's sovereign, I, I don't do anything. No, it's quite the opposite. Again, the big idea for today is if we can understand our lack of control, then we can live more fully. So since God is in control and I'm not in control, since God is sovereign and I'm not, since life is a mist and and I'm here today and I'm gone tomorrow, then I'm going to live 
every day as if every day is precious and fleeting, right? I'm not going to fold my arms and say, well, oh, I don't know if I'm promised today. I'm not. And so I'm going to have this vital realization that your days are precious. Your days are precious. Nobody knows how long we have. Nobody. Maybe you've heard it said at a funeral before, his life was cut short. Heard that? Her life was cut short. Listen, nobody's life is cut short. According to the scripture, Psalm 139, 16, says, in your books, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. God knows this is how long you're going to live. Predetermined. He knows. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It is appointed for man to die once. It's appointed. And after that comes judgment. And so a day is drawing near for each of us, and God in his total sovereignty and control, he knows what that day is. Now, should I sit back and do nothing in light of that? No. Quite the opposite. I should say I'm going to use my days well because they're short. They're, they're, they're just fleeting. They're gone. What if we woke up every single day with that in mind? And it could be my last. They could be my last. I don't live in fear, but we live to the fullest, right, in the Lord because I'm not promised the rest of this day. If you wake up and say, today's going to be my last, are you going to go skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing? What's that other part? Jump on a bull named Fu Manchu? No, that's, that's ridiculous. We're going to do things that are of eternal significance, right? I'm going to sit down, I'm going to talk with my kids about Jesus, about how he's changed my life. I'm going to love my wife like crazy and help her to love the Lord more. Talk to my neighbor, your coworker, about the Lord. And so what we need to do is we need to, we need to find what God has called us to do. What has God created you to do? And go do it, because your days are fleeting. Stop putting it off. Go do it. Or, catch this, this is a big one, or you are in sin if you don't do it. Let's read James 4, 17. Here's what he says. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. All right. Find out what God has for you because the days are precious and do it or you're in sin. Now, we often focus on the sins of of commission, the things that I commit, the things I do that I shouldn't have done. But but this is kind of that catch-all Bible verse and talks about the sins of omission, right? It's not just what you've done that is wrong, but the things you don't do that are wrong. You're not talking to your neighbor about Jesus. It's sin. You're not pouring into your family. That's sin. It's about the things you don't do as well. You're not pressing into the scriptures as he calls us to. It's sin. It's about the things we, we don't do as, as, as well. And so what has God called you to do and, and do it? If you know the right thing to do and you fail to do it, it's sin, he says. Live your life doing what he wants for you to do. I have a Christian friend named Jose. And uh, a few years back, we got together for an early morning meeting at a Dunkin' Donuts. It was awesome the nicest looking Dunkin' Donuts uh, in all of New England, in my opinion. It was really cool. I love this place. And uh, 
we, we hung out for a little while, and then I, I was like, hey, what's going on, man? What's, what's going on in your life? And he goes, Josh, 12,775. I'm like, what? <laughs> he goes, that's it, 12,775. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, he's like, I figure, Josh, if God will let me live till 75, it's about the average age, He's like, I did the math. Psalm 90, verse 12, says, teach us to number our days. You know, Lord willing, I have 12,775 days to live. I'm counting every single day. I'm going to use every single day for the glory of God. Use it to the fullest. I'm like, wow. Next day I see him, 12,774. I'm like, all right, man, time's ticking. Get on it. You know, I was like, that's so cool. That's so cool. Listen, if we're not in control, we don't know when the last day is. We've got to live every day as a precious day and use it for God's glory and not waste our time with mindless, goofy things that we do with our lives. Or it's sin. You know what you need to do and you don't do it, it's sin. So I want to close with James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. James 5, 1 through 6. Let's read it together. He says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Jesus, or the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Who is James talking to here? Talking to the rich. And he speaks prophetically about the rich, about the wealthy. That wealth, it gives this illusion of control. It gives this illusion of sovereignty. Like, I'm in, I'm in control. I got this. But prophetically, in verse 1, he says, weep and howl. In other words, you hoarders, you have stored up riches for yourself putting on costly garments and gold and silver, and you've even withheld wages from the people who have earned those wages so that you can get richer. You live in luxury. You live in self-indulgence. He says, you've laid up treasure in the last days. But ultimately, God is in control, and death is going to come for you too. You feel so powerful. You feel like you got it together. Nothing can touch you. You're not even living in accordance with the law and paying people with their oath. You think you're in control, you're sovereign. But you are being deceived by the illusion of power and riches, wealth. He says, so you will be howling and weeping in eternal judgment. Now, it's pretty, pretty stark, huh? In case you didn't believe me, as I said, that this is brutal honesty from James. He's just straight up. Look at verse 5. He says, Pretty much he says, you fat cows. <laughs> he said it. 
That's in the Bible, right? You have fattened your heart in the days of slaughter. In other words, you're like a fattened animal that's going to be slaughtered and turned to that awesome beef, right? He says, you've bloated yourself with earthly indulgence, but you have no idea that these are the last days. In other words, your days are fleeting. Your time is short. You cannot bring that with you into eternity. You can't. I know most of us aren't wealthy, according to the standards of MTV Cribs, but we're wealthy compared to the rest of the world. I told you this before, but the fact that we have four walls, and not just three, and indoor plumbing, compared to the majority of the world, we are loaded. But we look at our neighbor, and we drive through Brookline and say, oh man, woe is me, ridiculous. Compared to the rest of the world, we are loaded. We're loaded. And we're rich in time, we're rich in money, we're rich in resource, we're rich in breath, we're given breath and life, rich in energy, and our days are out of our control, and so they're, they're precious and we've got to spend them well. Don't waste it on gold and hoard it for yourself and kind of create this illusion around yourself like I got it together, I'm promised tomorrow, I'm going to build my tomorrow. So you work hard, be responsible, live well, enjoy the grace that God's given us in these things. I'm saying walk around in sackcloth and ashes all the time. Dress nice, it's good. Dress up tonight, please. I'm going to dress up for the banquet. It's going to be great. Listen. Sam, listen. Don't let it cause you to think that you're, you're all set. Don't let it cause you to think that you're untouchable. He says, you're not. He says, for these guys, these rich merchants, they're going to weep and howl. The gnashing of teeth in eternal damnation apart from Christ because they've let their riches blind them. Maybe it's for some of you, the, the wealth of intellect. I'm so smart. I'm too smart for God. This is just gonna, it's going to be an illusion for you. The wealth of things to do. I'm so busy. I'm so important. I can't put time in there. For, he says it's an illusion. You're not in control. You're not promised tomorrow. And if you can understand that we're not in control, we're not the sovereign, then guess what? If we can grip that we're not the sovereign, then we can live life to the fullest. So please, don't be so arrogant to think you're in control. Live under his hand. Submit to him. And live life to the fullest. Trust in him as Lord. And follow him all the days of your life. It's the message from James. Good stuff. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. You're so needed for all of us. I think hardly any of us think we're control freaks per se. We are. We like to think we got it. May we be reminded that you've got it. You're in control. May we actually find peace and joy in that. Some people will trip over Jesus and this truth like a, a stumbling stone. Some people get really ticked off at the thought that you are in control. But may we, and may we see more people, not get ticked off at it, but get excited by it and not trip over the stumbling stone of Jesus, but build their life on the cornerstone of Jesus. 
God, may we just trust in your control, that you are our firm foundation, that you are our rock upon which we rest our lives. When everything else is crumbling around us and everything else doesn't make sense, we know you. And we trust in you. Thank you for these truths, Lord. And for anyone in this room who does not know Jesus, has not turned and trusted their lives to the hand of Jesus, may they call out to you today and recognize their sin and need for you and what Jesus has done for them. And in faith, trust in the Lord Jesus and follow him all the days of their life. Commit them to you, Lord. Thank you for this time. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.